going on guys welcome to looking ahead to beto days i am your host chris and i am super super excited about this episode um when we recorded the discussion portion last night um we did so without any knowledge of what was going to drop today um so um, just to fill you in a little bit um this week's episode is going to focus on education and this morning beto o'rourke actually dropped his um his education policy plan which is beautiful and we will get into that later um but it was a a a beautiful coincidence but before we get into that i'm going to get into beto news um so one of the biggest beefs that the media has had with um beto was especially in the beginning was his reluctance to go on shows he was really just focusing on hitting the ground and talking to people but he has been actually going on a few shows, and he did so this week. He was on Seth Meyers as well as The View. And uh, But we're going to actually go into his, his appearance on The View. Um, last time he was on The View, uh, they gave him a hard time about how he answered some of the questions, you know, how he... Um, you know, talked about leaving Amy at home with the kids and this, that, and the other. Um, this time Amy actually went on, um, and addressed that herself actually. Um, and, and man, you can tell when they're sitting together that they, they have a genuine connection just by looking at how he looks at her. But the big part of his appearance on the view wasn't necessarily Amy coming on and them, you know, writing, you know, the, I guess faux pas of Beto when he first started running and saying, I'm talking about Amy and being at home with the kids and that, and, and whatever. But it really came in the moment when he was sparring back and forth with Megan McCain. Megan McCain made the point that, you know, Beto had called, you know, the people at the, at the, the rally in North Carolina, the Trump rally, you know, he'd compared it to a Nuremberg rally, which fun fact, if you've ever seen any kind of Nazi propaganda videos, that's exactly what it looks like. It's just the 2019 version. So Megan McCain wasn't coming from a position of strength to begin with. She made the argument that Beto says he wants to represent everybody and he wants to represent Republicans. But what about that? Those people in, um, in, in that, uh, in that rally and Beto said everybody who was participating in the send her back chant, which refers to Ilan Omar sending her back, uh, which is super racist, super fascist. It It's just disgusting. I'm not even spend time on it. But he said every person who participated in that chant should be held accountable. 100%. And you can see in, in videos that I've seen, the damage that something like that can do outside of you know, the just absolute racism of it. And in fact, there's a, there's video of a little girl who's like super confused, like looking around while all these people are chanting, send her back. And she eventually builds up and builds up and she starts chanting along with it. 
that's a problem in and of itself. That's just not okay. But, you know, Beto really shut her down and the audience got really into it. And you could see that Megan was flustered. He also made sure she, she called him on polling numbers and talking about how, you know, he's kind of down in the polls and fundraising and all that. And he said, right, right, right. You know, um, a lot of campaigns start out this way. You know, Barack Obama did. Um, and he actually didn't point out, um, Barack Obama. Joy, I believe Joy Behar did, but he actually pointed out John McCain and his run and you know she apparently didn't like that and her day did not go well the rest of the day but uh you know I'm I'm keeping the better news portion kind of short he's been really really busy uh this afternoon he went to Flint um Michigan and he met with uh people there he actually went to somebody's house and brought food and just like cooked in somebody's house like he made them spaghetti you know part of it was making the point that he had to go and buy two gallons of water just to make spaghetti which is just completely blows my mind that they still have an issue with water there and nobody's talking about it um but i want to dive right into the meat of today and that is education education for those of you who have been listening is my number one issue um, I have a nine-month-old. I'm a teacher. I have any student who steps across the threshold into my classroom is is that is my child at that point in time. They, I, their parents are entrusting me with them. They're mine to kind of you know make sure they're in a safe and functioning learning environment. My wife is currently going back to school to be a teacher. Um, education is my entire life. I'm surrounded by it, uh, surrounded by it all the time. My mother is a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. Um, I'm a descendant from a long line of teachers. So it is something that is ingrained in me and something that is very important. And we actually, we recorded the, uh, the discussion before this policy came out. And a lot of the stuff that I've noticed that's in it, we hit on. Um, because as teachers, this is what's important to us. And that's why this policy is so good. I really, really, really like what I'm seeing. So we're going to dive into that in just a second. But as always, I'm going to hit you with a Beto O'Rourke quote. And this is actually from when he launched the education policy. Um, so for the sake of our economy, democracy, and future, we need to ensure Every student, no matter who they are, what they look like, or where they live, has access to a quality education. That's key. Without students, you have no teachers. You have no schools. Um, students are the key to any school. And if you if you have teachers and can develop, we can develop teachers who care and genuinely want to nurture in that environment. Those kids are going to be successful. Um, and it's it's really not as easy as, as as people like to make it out to be. Oh, you we only work from September to June, which is really August because we go back in August for starters. But it's a lot of work. People, you know, people shit on the teaching profession, which blows my mind because they 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 will dump all over that profession, but then send their kids to that same environment and hope that that teacher teaches their kid how to how to do stuff you know math english whatever uh it's just mind-boggling to me um but we're going to dive right into this um and a lot of this focuses around middle income low income and um people of color which kind of get lost by the wayside but it also covers teachers as well but there's a 
this is this is a, a, a statistic. Beto points out that only twenty percent of America's public school educators are people of color, um, which we cover in in the discussion. But only two percent of those are African American males. In my school, there are there one of our, the the teachers actually recently retired. There are only two African American teachers in my school. My school is a predominantly African American school. So te- the students aren't necessarily seeing somebody who looks like them and is getting, you know, that they can relate to in that way. Um, I do my best um, and I try to relate to them and I try to tell my story in conjunction with theirs and we get to know each other. But sometimes that's really, really hard when I don't have an understanding of exactly what it is to be that student. Um, but uh, really... A lot of this has to do with funding, and there's, and Beto points out that there are links between school funding and academic outcomes, um, as well as links between changing, closing the diversity gap and teaching and creating more positive outcomes for students. We need representation in education right now, and just male, African American, we, we need this. Um, the percentage of male teachers is like 24%. It's like a real low number. Um, uh, but actually, I have that number for you right here. It is, I was right, 24%, 1 in 10 in elementary. That means most um, students don't see a male teacher until maybe middle school. I didn't have my first male teacher until middle school, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's actually pretty much adds up. Anyways, um, Beto's plan focuses on five points. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read those out to you. Like I said, you guys know. I, I I have the actual document in front of me so you guys hear me flipping papers because I want to be able to actually talk about this with it in front of me. So um, the first point, create a permanent fund for equity and excellence to ensure schools and educators have the resources they need to be successful. Two, end racial disparities in school discipline and support programs to increase diversity. Three, provide student debt relief for educators. Four, invest in a diverse teacher pipeline and five support for educators advancing their careers um there is apparent there's there's a funding gap of 23 billion dollars between predominantly white and predominantly non-white districts um a lot of that has to do with funding and a lot of that funding comes from standardized testing by the way for those of you don't know if you at least the virginia sols in our state they they they're for funding that's it you know, and if you you're under resourced because you are already a poor school, um, or a school that doesn't have a lot of and just resources in general, and that is a lot of schools with a, a, a vast majority of minorities in them, you don't get the funding that you need to be able to help some of those students. So it's almost a, a, a vicious cycle of you know being stagnant. Um, part of this is he wants to create a permanent fund for equity and excellence. He wants to dedicate $500 billion toward the creation of a permanent fund committed to closing funding gaps, creating incentives for states and districts to guarantee fair funding for public schools and pay teachers professional wages. First and foremost, the purpose of the fund will be to close gaps in funding based on race and income. Um, let's keep going. Um, he wants to a state commitment to education funding. Um, he he's put on here that he wants a committee of experts, and this is one of my things with all politicians. You hear a lot of politicians talk about, you know, I want to do this. I want a bunch of experts. The experts in this are teachers. 
if there aren't if there aren't teachers on this committee it's pointless to me because you know you you if you want to see what education looks like when somebody doesn't know what they're doing or hasn't been in a classroom look no further than betsy devos um yeah i mean pretty much she's synonymous with not knowing how to do your job um he wants state commitment to equitable equitable funding so there's a difference between equity and equality and there's this great cartoon we use when we talk to our kids about equity and equality you, know, you have some kids that are allowed to use calculators on all tests um or all, specifically um like math test obviously because you know calculator but some kids also get to test you know, in small group settings based upon their IEP or individual um, education plan. And if when you explain equity and equality to um, students, you have to explain it in a way of, you know, some, uh, some other people need just a little bit of a boost to be at the same level you are. So equality, in, in this cartoon, there's equality and it's pe- these people looking over a fence. Everybody has the same size box so that they can see um, over the fence. You know, obviously the much taller individual can see just fine either way. The person in the middle can um, see, but the person on the, the very end is still kind of not able to see. They've all got equal boxes, equal size boxes, so it's equal, but it's not really the best for that situation. Whereas equity, the, the man who is much taller can already see over the fence. So he doesn't need a box. He's in good position. Person in the middle just needs a little bit of a boost. Uh, and, and then the third person needed two boxes so that they could see at the same level the other two were. That's the difference between equity and equality. And that's something that gets missed a lot. You know, we need to make sure we are equitably divvying out any kind of funding state and this is my favorite part states failing to meet that standard within five years of receiving permanent fund dollars risk losing the permanent fund for equity and excellence they have to be using this money as it's being allocated we're also gonna i mean they have to they lose it if they don't um he also wants to take the the uh community-based approach and we talk about this a little bit in our um discussion it takes a village to raise a child. Like everybody needs to be involved in community and, and the use of funds will be determined by each school based on engagement with educators, students, parents, civil rights groups, education stakeholders, and community leaders. So everybody has a stake in what's going to be going on with these, these students education because just about everybody has a kid go through the, um, through the, the school system, whether it's public or private, you still want to get the best education for your student. And you, 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 if you bring these people together, you can find out what's best in that community. What do they need the most? And my, one of my big things that I'm, that I found in this policy is he wants to pay education support personnel at least a living wage. Um, we have IAs in my school. It's a, in, uh, excuse me, instructional, instructional assistant. Teachers cannot do their jobs without these IAs. IAs get rooms for students when they need small group testing. They take the students out to small group test them. They read just about every test from start to finish. They take notes for the students to make sure that their students' accommodations are met. They help give them extra help. These guys and girls are doing everything, and they're making $20,000 a year. That's how much instructional assistants make, $20,000. That is less than 50% of what 
at least at my school, and it's at least 50%. It's more than 50% of what I make as a teacher. And that I only make a little bit more because I have a master's degree. Um, and it's still not fantastic. We'll, we'll get to that later, but I have had some of the best IAs in my classroom. I've had all types, different types, different styles, and I, I could not do my job without them. Um, you know, they get you through the day. One, they're not just helping the students. They help you. If my, my IAs, if they see, if they see me off, they'll ask me, you know, what's going on? What, you know, what can I help? Do you need to, to, to step out for a second? It's, they're wonderful. They're underpaid and they, they, they should be paying. Instructional assistants should be making, if not as much, almost as much as teachers. They're that important. Um, he fully, he wants to fully fund the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, um, it's IDEA. Um, the fact that this isn't fully funded completely blows my mind. Um, SPED programs are key in schools. There's all, you, you, every school has a SPED population. And that population needs special accommodations. And a lot of those accommodations don't get met because the funding isn't there. So I found this interesting. Um, when, uh, when IDEA passed, the federal government committed to covering 40% of the average cost. By the way, it should be funding 100% of that, but that's neither here nor there, and that's part of what Beto's wants to do, um, to educate a child with disabilities. Today, the federal government only contributes a mere 14.7%. 14.7%. Any kind of ADD, ADHD, all um, those are all considered disabilities. Those students need special help here and there. There are other students who are affected by all sorts of things. One of my guests was suffered from dysgraphia. Without funding from IDEA, he he may not have gotten a lot of the extra help that he needed. Um, And I'm going to let him tell his story much later on the show. But the fact that we're not fully funding for students with disabilities is is beyond me. It's it's like we're saying it's almost like we're saying you guys are already defective, so we're gonna let you guys go ahead and, and you you guys can have the menial jobs without thinking that these students have so much more to offer. My SPED students, in many cases, try a thousand times harder than my TAG, which is talented and gifted, and my and and your you know your quote unquote average student because they have to and they have to try a you know, 10 times harder than they should already because they're not getting the help that they need you know when you have to scramble for um a room to test in because you you don't have the resources there's not enough rooms in a school to meet their accommodations or there's not enough ias in a school because you don't have the funding funding there to give these students the support that they need like we are 14.7 percent is just absolute garbage we are failing our students period um he also wants to uh to uh federally invest in modernizing our schools um i taught a school that had one uh one smart board there's no reason that every school in America shouldn't have a smart board. board. Um, technology is the way of the future. Our students are using it at home. You know, I'm of the mindset that every classroom should have a computer and we should be teaching our students how to use that and effectively manipulate that because that is where they're at. 
we can't put them at a disadvantage and put them behind. We, we have to create positive and effective learning environments. Um, he wants to end racial disparities in school discipline and support programs to increase diversity in America's school. Um, I was part of the PBIS, which is Positive Behavior and Instructional Services. Um, it, it's it's a program to use positive reinforcement to um, to help students make the right decisions before they're in trouble in the first place. But part of what I did, and I took it upon myself to do this, was I would go into the ISS room every day, and I would talk to every student in there, and I'd ask them, um, so why are you in here? And they'd tell me, and we'd have a conversation about, you know, how they can fix that, and they can do that, um, how they can, you know, not end up back in ISS. And one of the things I noticed is majority of the kids in there were African-American. I'm not saying that, you know, any, there was my, my particular school is, is, was racially profiling the students. It's farthest from the case, the furthest from the case. My school is actually really, really good about taking care of their students. We're a free lunch school, free breakfast school. You know, it's, it, it, it's, they, we've been crushing it as far as some of that, um, is concerned. But a lot of it is, is, is stigma too and not under teachers not understanding where the student's coming from. This is again why it's important to have a, a teacher that, that looks like them in front of uh, a lot of the students. And you know, it, shared experience says a lot. And coming from a place of understanding says a lot. Um, and that's why you see so many students who are acting out that get written up for just dumb things that you shouldn't be written up for in the first place, ending up in places like ISS and OSS. I, I did notice that uh, there was a just a huge number of, um, uh, of racial disparity when it came to um, students in ISS and OSS. Um, so increase funding for programs designated to increase diversity. Um, <sighs> There are schools that are still majority, and this is mostly in the North, and a lot of people don't know that, is the North really didn't have to desegregate so much because segregation wasn't known in the North. So you have a lot of white schools and black schools in 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 the North and places like New York City that are right across the street from each other. So you don't have that diversity, and diversity is important. Um, I grew up in a town where literally everybody looked like me. Everybody I went to school looked like me, and I didn't have any kind of exposure to the outside world, so to speak, until I went to college. And, you know, people act differently, raised raised in different situations, so it was actually a little bit harder for me. I'm I'm actually a, a just generally good with people in general, general in general, in general, in general, as I say, general in general over and over again but you know um it's uh it's tough and that diversity is important i want my son to go to a school where he's got a diverse group of people again my school is is very good about that the one that i teach in because we have a lot of the ell students i tell my students all the time you should be asking all the people around you about themselves like what where they come from what they do learn use the people around you become worldly like know these people they eat different things than you do and it's not even just ethnically but culturally 
it's it's it it's a it's a bastion for them to learn about diversity in general um he wants to bolster support for english learners in dual language programs dual language programs would be awesome um i know the schools in el paso are uh, bilingual they speak uh, they do spanish and english there are schools up in northern virginia that do the same but that is not the norm and it should be like we should put more of an emphasis on our, our students knowing different language uh, languages um regardless of what some people may say english is not the uh national language we don't have a national language again we are we're a melting pot <laughs> pot where everybody spoke a different language like we should know those types of things it would make our kids and our students better it would put them in a better situation but we also have ell which is english language learners and english language learners kind of fall through the cracks and they they kind of push them through you know you can't fail a student who is in the ell program which makes sense trust me i get it but at what point do you offer them a disservice right by by not correcting the work and just passing them on and passing them on and passing them on and passing them on because you're not helping them they're eventually going to get to the point where they're they're at an extreme disadvantage another part of that is my instructional assistants aren't there for my ells they're there for my sped students so if i have i i I was in a position where i could send my ells with my with my sped students but that's not the norm. Like I had to go around the school and fight for my students, my AOL students, um, accommodations to be met because, you know, nobody, they, they weren't sped. So they, they didn't feel, I guess they didn't feel like those accommodations had to be met or they just couldn't, they didn't have the resources and that their, their ELL resources don't fall under, under sped resources. And it's, it's a mess. And it's not just one school. It's all schools. Every school should be working towards making sure our English learn, uh, language learners have the same advantages that every student has in a classroom should be a level playing field when every student um, steps through that door, that door um, provide student debt relief for educators. Many teachers around the country are buried in student loan debt, me being one of them. Um, costs a lot of money to go to school. You know, a lot of times you have to get a master's degree. And then you, when you come out of college to teach, you don't make that much money. So you're balance, playing that balancing act between living, buying things you need for your classroom, and paying your student loan debt. Um, student loan debt is, is, is a huge problem in this country. I am not saying that every single person who has student loan debt needs to have their student loans completely forgiven. That it's just in my brain, it is completely inconceivable that we just wipe that, like everybody's debt free. It just doesn't work that way. Um, I think it's fiscally irresponsible. And honestly, it's not, it's not the taxpayers job to pay for our student loans um, unless you are providing a service, which educators do. He wants to immediately forgive outstanding student loan debt for educators, um, and they, he wants to do that tax-free. As of right now, the program, or at least the program used to be before Betsy DeVos, um, DeVos or however you want to say her goddamn name, because um, don't get me started on that woman. She's awful. Um, she... Uh, She's trying to get rid of that. And she's also trying to bring it in vouchers, but we're not, we're not going to get on her. She's, she's 
just awful. Um, you have to wait 10 years and you have to be making payments. For 10 years, you have to make 100, I think it's like 120 payments. And you can't, it has to be in succession. If you miss a payment, you're, you have to start all over again, which is, it's, it's happened to me. It's not just you make 120 payments. It is 120 consecutive payments. So you're worrying about that for 10 years. The first 10 years of your teaching career, you're having to stress out about that, already making just a, a very low amount of money. And that doesn't make you an effective teacher. That's not something you should have to worry about. Fun fact, teachers do not just pay for the things they need in their classroom. I've had students come to me and say, it, it, I'll give you an example. I had a student come to me. He was, a, he was, I had him when he was in sixth grade. He was an eighth grader. And, um, I always kept a good relationship with him. You know, we, he, whenever he had issues, he would come to see me. Um, and he came to me and said, Hey, um, my mom can't afford to, for me to go on the DC trip. I'd, I'd really like to go. And I said, consider it done. I paid the $50 for him to go on that trip because the kid needed, he deserved to go. He had worked harder in my eyes than many of the other students around him. I wasn't going to let him miss out on that opportunity. I also buy, you know, I buy pencils, paper, all of that stuff, but I'll buy other things. I create, give incentives to my students. You know, if you do well in such and such, or you've, you've done this, I'll buy you candy. I'll buy you, I bought pizza, candy, um, donuts. I, I take, I mean, I'll, I'll pay for anything as long as it helps these kids. I don't care. Having, putting student loans on top of that makes it really, really, really hard. Um, so wants to convert the existing public service loan forgiveness program to an accelerated loan forgiveness plan. Um, again, 10 years, 120 payments or right now. It should be right now. Now, I, I think in, in my brain, it should be, um, uh, should be, there should be a little bit of a timeline on that. Um, Basically, this is this, this is the way he's gonna he wants this to work. Teachers who have worked more than five years in a public school will receive total loan forgiveness. Others would have their student loan payments suspended while teaching in public schools, have twenty percent of their principal forgiven per year of service, and total loan forgiveness after five years. That is how you do it, right there. Because you know a lot of teachers stop teaching after the first or second year. They either can't handle it or they don't, they didn't know what they were getting into, which blows my mind in general, but, you know, um, cause, you know, they, they give it, they have classes to t kind of guide you into what you're doing, but it's hard to go into a classroom and not understand that kids are kids. So doing it this way makes a lot of sense. Um, he, he wants to invest in a diverse teacher pipeline. Um, students of color represent 51 of the, uh, 51 percent of the student population. And, uh, in the 20, this was in the 20, 2015, 2016 school year and are projected to cons constitute 56 percent of the student population by 2024. Again, remember I said 2 percent of, um, male teachers, which are only 24 percent of the entire population are African-American. That's important. Like, I can't stress the importance. Like, I can all day. Male teachers are also extremely important. But African-American teachers or uh, male African-American teachers are incredibly important as well. 
you know, shared experience. They, the kids can bond. It's easier for them to bond if they feel like there's a shared experience. And we, again, we get into this when we discuss, um, in our discussion later on, um, you know, and teachers of color only make up approximately 20% of the teacher population. And apparently they tend to leave the profession at higher rates than their white peers. Um, that's a number I can't explain. Like I don't, I, 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 I haven't been directly affected. Obviously, wouldn't be directly affected by it, but yeah, that's a big disparity. Um, and as President Beto will work with Congress to provide debt-free college for low and middle-income students for for the full cost of attendance at state universities, technical schools, and community colleges to allow students to pursue careers of their choice, including teaching, without ever worrying about the debt they will take on. In order to create incentive for students to enter the teaching profession. Um, he will also support support for teacher preparation. Um, it's a, again, it's kind of expensive to become a teacher. So if you don't have um, the money, or you you're, you're either go into crippling loan debt, or you don't become a teacher. Essentially, is what it is. Or or you're somebody who has money in in the first place, and you don't see a lot of the wealthier population becoming teachers. Teaching isn't a profession that is respected and that is absolutely bogus. Um, you know, it's probably the most important, it's like one of the most important professions in our, in our entire country, right? We're charged with educating youth yet as teachers, we're completely marginalized and just put down for what we do. Um, but Beto wants to create a program that provides $500 million per year for post-secondary institutions to partner with high-need school districts to create residency programs. I love this idea. Absolutely love it. The idea of, um, it's, it remind me like kind of what doctors do, but, uh, residency programs provide on the job training for prospective teachers, offering them a year of training in a classroom alongside an experienced teacher. If they do this 100% and you want to be a teacher, you can be in my classroom anytime you want. I will gladly work with you. Um, if you're out there listening, um, that's a good idea. It's a good way to get people into education that may or may not be able to afford it, but have the ability and the skill set to be able to educate students. I can't stress enough that we need teachers and we need teachers that want to teach, that want to be in a classroom. Because if you have a teacher who's just there for the paycheck, their students are losing every time. You know, they don't, I mean, to me, they, you know, they, they might think they care, but sometimes you, they, they don't. They're just there to collect a paycheck, and kids aren't paychecks. Um, he also wants to provide support for educators advancing their careers, meaning he wants to help teachers, you know. Teaching is an evolving skill set. The teaching profession has changed in the, just immensely in the last five years, let alone the last 20 years. Think about technology. Um, but... To be good at what we do, we need to be progressively learning. Um, we have to be adapting and evolving to be better. And sometimes that's expensive. He wants to offer financial incentives for advanced uh, education, which is kind of a thing they they um, already do. I, some school districts, I'm not sure if that's nationwide, but the school districts I've taught in 
offer a $2,000 incentive and add-on pay raise for having a master's degree. Um, he, he wants to provide educators with free tuition to acquire a graduate degree, which is awesome. Like, I mean, fantastic. You can get better at your craft if you know more about the subject that you teach or in general or, or, around schools and classrooms. Like, I would love to go into counseling or administration I can't afford to do that. Like, I, I would love to. Love to. Can't because I can't afford it. Um, he also wants federal funding to cover the cost of natural national board uh, certification. Basically, the national board certification is, is like a prestigious award and certificate that you can get for teaching. It allows you to teach in all 50 states, and you have to do a rigorous program to do it. It costs $2,500. I don't have $2,500 sitting around. Like Teachers don't make enough money to be able to afford that. Now, they do offer grants, but you have to earn those grants first. And I I couldn't tell you how that money is allocated. But if we offer programs for teachers who want to be better teachers and we offer them for free, we are going to get the best of the best in what we need in every single classroom in America, in the world is grade A plus teachers. We will be so much better off for having better teachers in the future if they're educated. You know, if you have bad teachers, you, you, the next generation is in our hands. You want the best people on that. You know, you you don't want um you don't want me doing surgery because I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So that doesn't you, you, you want the best of the best. You want somebody who's gone to school and continue to advance their knowledge in that field. So I can't do surgery because I don't know what I'm doing. I wouldn't expect somebody to come into a classroom and know what they're doing without any kind of backup information. You want to keep these teachers getting better and better and better. Um, he wants to uh, permit teachers to meet recertification and continuing education requirements through micro-credentialing. So every five years, you have to uh, recertify. Obviously, education, again, like I said, evolves, so you need to know different things and more things. Um, so we have to recertify. Um, it, basically, we're bound to traditional developmental courses. Teachers should be able to demonstrate... Uh, competency through micro-credentials, which require a teacher to submit evidence that they have mastered a particular teaching skill. Um, this al- approach allows teachers to pro- progress progress in their professional development at their own pace and allows them to stack credentials to signal expertise in a particular area, right? So if I'm already really, really good with computer programs, there's no need for me to take a full course to be recertified for something I'm already proficient in. My time would be better served focusing on something else. So um, that as a, uh, as a thing, you know, it's, a, it's another stress we're adding on to our teachers. Um, and th- that makes up for the whole policy plan. And I, I, I'm, I've been blown away by it. I love it. It is exactly what we need right now in education. We, one, we need more teachers I teach because I was inspired to teach by a teacher, my fifth grade teacher, Miss uh, Tammy. Miss Tammy Maloney is her name. Um, if you ever listen to this, uh, Miss Tammy, this this is this is my shout out to you. This whole episode right here is dedicated to you um, because I wouldn't be in a classroom without her. Period. 
because she was a good teacher. She genuinely cared about every single student who came in her classroom. And as a student who came in her classroom, she, I knew she cared about me. Um, I mean, we had mugs and mouse pads and all sorts of stuff that we all had made um, from my particular fifth grade class. She still has that stuff. She's never forgotten. She still talks too and greets all of her um students she just saw my mom in the uh in some store and asked for my phone number just so she she so she could call call me when i got my first teaching job i took her out to dinner that's how influential she was to me 20 some odd years later teachers are important they shape our futures and if my story of being in that influenced by a teacher is any telling we need good teachers in classrooms. So for today's discussion, um, I'm going to bring on a couple of guests. First, I'd like to introduce Caleb Elliott. Yes, my name is Caleb Elliott. Uh, I work in the school system. I've been in the school system teaching specifically history as well as working in uh, youth programs for forever. And that's yeah. basically what I work on. Hey, that's good, man. You pretty much all from what I know about you and all that I've seen you do, you you pretty much just work with kids. And that's something that we very, very sorely need right now. And our other guest is Jacob Lelish, who has been here before and is making a return. So, hey, guys, my name is Jacob. Like I said, um, I'm a director of fundraising for a nonprofit 501c3 called Under the Tree. And I'm also a student teacher. Yep, and obviously, education is 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 near and dear to our hearts. So, first thing I'm going to ask um, both of my guests is, why did you choose education? Why did you go in to be a teacher, Caleb? I'm going to let you go first, and then Jacob, you can go after him. Um, so I always get asked this question. Asked this question, excuse me, my enunciation rather. Um, and I actually have a variety of answers for this question, uh, and the real answer is a little bit more interesting than what I normally say in uh, school settings. Um, there's a movie called The Freedom Riders. Um, and in that movie, this lady, she documents her, um, her lifestyle with students out in California and whatnot. And it's completely unrelated, but there was actually a, uh, ironically of all things, a mixtape of all things, um, that came out at around the same point in time. And somebody was using clips from the movie in the mixtape, and he was documenting his life as um, somebody growing up in the rough part of, I believe he was from Cincinnati or Columbus, Ohio, and he was kind of overlapping those things. Meanwhile, I was in college. I was working with a uh, an urban, urban ministry program, and we instead of being in the urban ministry, we ended up working in a juvenile detention center and ended up working with kids. And uh, I was working on my school for going to school for government and all these things kind of layered up. And so I ended up working with students when I came back home from college. And so here I am. Cool. Cool. Um, I, you know, kind of a, a, a similar story. I never wanted to go into education personally. Um, I actually, uh, I started teaching at um, Jamestown Yorktown Foundation. I was a, a guide there. And, you know, I had taught swim lessons back in the day when I was like 16. But when I, I came on um, and started doing this, I really realized that teaching was my passion. I was, and I just, I had so much that I could give these kids in so many other ways 
you know, I, I felt drawn to education. Um, Jacob, how'd you get it? What, what made you want to teach? Well, um, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I'm a uh, black belt. I spent 15 years in the martial arts, um, and I did a lot of uh, teaching of the younger groups. And oftentimes, I would put in random history facts. And if you're my friend, you know I do this constantly. And one of the uh, parents said, "Wow, I didn't know that. You know, are you going to be a teacher?" And I never really thought about it before then. But then I was like, oh, maybe I could do that. I'd like to do that. And it kind of went from there. Um, I forgot about that um, as time kind of went by. And I actually planned on joining the Marine Corps. Um, and when I was in the delayed entry program, I hurt my knee pretty bad. And I took that as a sign um, that maybe that's not what I was meant to do. Um, went, return, went to school. And while I was uh, at community college, I decided that I was going to pursue a degree in history with the idea that I would teach one day. Hey, we got to start somewhere, and um, your your story starts with a roundhouse kick. Um, I'm sorry, I wanted to say that at the time, but you you were really rolling, and like I said, you know we're we're all friends. I I know both of these guys personally. It's why I, I handpicked them to come on for this spe- specific topic because um, you know education is important to us um and the first thing and this is obviously a political podcast so we're going to be talking about the politics of it you know me and caleb we know what we what needs to be done in education on the ground right now from what we see every single day this is this is what jacob's going to be coming into and he can you know he 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 knows more of like the numbers because he's you know in school but uh, caleb for every statistic we see, we we yeah. we see a um, we we see a student that pretty much blows that statistic out of the water, right? Yeah, I, and that's that's the thing that uh, really gets me going about education because you will have you can never tell. You know, you can typecast a student, but you can't tell in that moment where the student will permanently end up I can't say permanently end up but will end up because there are students that I've worked with um, because before I was a teacher I was actually an assistant teacher and there's students I've volunteered with in the community and stuff like that and I've interacted with them and some of those students are like man this person is not going to make it anywhere fast and uh, I walked into Starbucks one day and one of the students saw me and he recognized me and he was like Mr. Elliot Mr. Elliot and I asked him what he was doing and he told me he was working at Starbucks and it was ironic because that was the very same Starbucks. I guess it's not ironic, but it was the very same Starbucks that I had been working on, working in before I went into the education school system. And so as soon as I told him that, he said, wow, he's like, so I'm starting off just like you. And I said to myself, well, hopefully you end off better than I do as well. But he was really inspired by that. And I never expected to see that. So there's students that we work with all the time that completely blow that out the water. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, um, we're, we're, we'll actually start with, with this because I wanted to talk about di- a need for diversity in, in teachers. Um, but you know, a lot of students don't even see male teachers until, you know, like either high school or it's a gym teacher, but it's never your core curriculum. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you some numbers here. 21st, per, 24% 
of teachers are male. That's all teachers. Only 24% of us are, are male. We are an extreme minority. One in 10 are in elementary education, and only 2% of that are African-American. Exactly. I mean, these are super, super low numbers, and, you know, the historical, you know, teaching is, is, a, is a woman's profession is this bullshit. Let's go ahead and throw that out there. I mean, nothing against females, but... I, you know, that that's just a dumb thing to say in general. Um, what we need, in a lot of cases, we need a lot of male role models because some of these kids don't get it, right? Some, how many, we, we've got tons and tons of students that we see every single day who don't have a dad at home or are the adult at home. So they need somebody they can look up to and, and it, it, I, one of the big things that, that Beto has been pushing you know, we need need more. We need to get more minorities, uh, more male minorities into the teaching profession because two percent is a low number, you know, and that that can be a connection that a lot of students make. Like, like for you, you Caleb, being a, a, somebody who's of color, what does it mean to you being a male teacher of color and finding out that you know oh, there's only two percent? You're part of two percent. Yeah, you, you stole my mind-blowing stat that I was going to drop in with all sorts of grandeur. Um, but there's only, from what I can tell, there's only 2% of uh, teachers are black male teachers. Um, and I don't know whether it's something that I, it's kind of like a viral thing that you see on, you know, Instagram or Facebook or Insta or Twitter, rather, and... It's always the post what a couple of my friends have been posting when is the first time that you had a black teacher and so for me the first time I had a black teacher uh, was in sixth grade and her name was mrs. Hightower and she fit the she fit the stereotype of you know the old uh, black schoolmaster type teacher you know very no-nonsense grandmother grandmother in nature I can't think of however I don't think and I've been trying to think about it since I knew I was doing this podcast with you. I can't think of any black male teachers that I had at all. Um, at all. Not even, I hate to say it like this, not even the stereotypical gym teacher. I can't think of any black male teachers that I had at all until, interestingly enough, probably in college. And the black male teacher that I had in college, I had one in, as a math teacher. And then the second one was probably about my age. Um, and he was, he was probably about my age, maybe a couple years older. And he I guess he had just gotten his doctorates. And I remember seeing in the college class and the guy who looked, literally looked like me, walked inside the classroom, was standing in front of the classroom. And we didn't even take him seriously because, you know, he looked like he was our age. We thought he was just another student. And so as far as I can recall, I may be wrong, but as far as I can recall, I don't think I've only had, I think I've only had two black male teachers or um, for that matter, non, I would say non-white male teachers. Um, I've had maybe one Spanish teacher, two Sp Hispanic teachers um, in Spanish class. And I think I had maybe one or two, I had two black female teachers in school. And so, but representation does matter. Um, 
and when students don't see somebody it shouldn't be this way but it's just our human nature when you see somebody that doesn't when you see someone that doesn't look like you or you assume that they didn't grow up like you you're not going to be able to connect with them or identify with them and so i believe that it's very important to have male teachers in the school system because students can identify that male figure as, as somebody as you said earlier people who lack father figures but when they come into the schools where we work at I'm not saying that they say us, see us all the time as, you know, the father figure, but we are a male, a male authoritative figure who we try to balance out, uh, you know, the education and the fun simultaneously with justice and directing them the proper way to, to order their steps. And so I think that is very important. And that is one of the things that I'm also reminded that I think we are at a fortunate circumstance because where we work at, um, in the school system that we work at, I think there is actually a larger amount of black male teachers per capita. I could be wrong. I don't know. I haven't done. No, you're 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 pretty spot on. I, I was sitting here thinking about it. We have a and we actually have a large number of male teachers in our school. Yeah. I mean, like we're pretty ev- evenly distributed. Now, granted, there there are more females, but our school is actually and it's, it, it's going to come up a few times because the school we teach at is is I mean they're really ahead of the curve with a lot of different things, and it's it's really really wonderful. Um, but I mean, like like you said, we're we're really really represented. But we need a lot of students need that male figure, that male father figure, and that takes some of the the male teachers at the school actually going out and doing other things. Like um, Jacob and I ran a comic book company, and I've had a student who came out and and worked uh, with me. I mean, this kid was on his mom was going to send him to military school, and I was like, I, I begged her, please, not not yet don't just give me some time and i worked with the kid and i had him come in and you know he came and worked with us and the the student has has since moved on but that's what that kid needed at that time he just needed a a male figure to to care about them and and you know male teachers are important you know uh, it's it's extremely important in the school systems right now too especially with like the large number i mean how many kids do we have coming coming in from multiple um, you know, backgrounds where the the father is locked up or he's just non-existent. I mean, like, how many kids we have? Have we had like that? Like, tons, right? Right. I would. I w- I'm not trying to even. As I'll, my running joke is, I'm a. I teach history, not math, so I'm not going to do the actual math on it. But I would argue at least, at least, probably sixty percent of our students fall into that demographic, whether they're black white latino whatever they probably about 60 percent of our students don't have a active father and if the father is in active in their lives he's not active in their actual household yeah and it's i mean it's a sad demographic but it's, it's why this number is so important especially for african-american students um because you have and and this goes into um uh, a different aspect of 
you know the teacher environment and that's discipline you know okay i i have a view of if you treat them like people like they're actual people and respect them as such they will do the same to you i have students who you know we can we we can be buddy buddy and and, and joke around but at the same time they know when i'm being serious it's all about that that respect and no having the kids like know that you care about them like and that's one of the things that kids don't understand is you know we take each and every one of them home like i i have my son who's nine months old but i also have every single student that i teach because we think about them in our off time like how can i help this kid he's really struggling with this what can i do teaching isn't just a 20 uh, you know an eight hour job we take those kids home with us and you know so there are times that we have to discipline and just from being in the school and i worked on pbis this past year i noticed that the the vast majority of students i saw in iss or oss were children of color Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm not i'm and i'm especially not saying that 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 racism is played a role in my school because i i I really don't think it it is but you see a lot more of that in students who don't have a male figure at least in my school and that's why having a male teacher is so so important right we have these large numbers of of children of color who don't have dads at home and they need somebody like that and they they especially need somebody like caleb who is really really out in, in in the community and like what can we do like i said this is one of beto's big things is that he talks about you know the large number of discipline that goes on children of color but how do we fix that like what can we do 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 we start at the beginning um and and try to reach them earlier by having more male teachers and more role models along the line especially when it is male students of color who are getting this discipline like, how, what do we do? What, what, what can we? What kind of things can we fix as, as people on the ground level, seeing what happens day to day? What, what can we do? Um, for for me, what I think is, I'm actually writing a paper about this as well. Um, we need the the school. Everybody needs to work together. I know it's super cliche, but it's the statement. Um, it takes a village to raise a child. And mm-hmm. people go back and forth about that, but you need to understand that in ancient societies, you had your immediate household, your immediate like tent or, or, whatever you lived in, you know, and that was your immediate household with your immediate family. But then the entire village was working together to make sure that you were receiving the instruction you needed. As of course, you know, in a hunter gatherer society, as a hunter gatherer, or later on, you were getting your your writing or whatever you would be sent down to one of the old sages and they would they would teach you a certain way and then you would go back home and you know if your father would instruct you on certain things and so the whole community was working together and one of the things that needs to happen is we need to somehow create a system where the entire community can work together uh, to see these things happen of course that in itself is I guess a whole nother story but as far as the school system works is there needs to be something that this parents and the teachers and the students are all on the same page or whatever on what they have to um, what they have to say about these things and how they can all work together to make it happen. So 
if we have like a community-based organization, maybe the community-based community-based organization can do certain things because there's certain things that you and I have done as teachers, which it's not. Out, I'm not saying it's out not outside of our personality, dude, because it's part of our personality. But maybe other teachers don't feel comfortable in acting in that role, or it's outside of their role to perform, or they're just like, "Hey, I'm not getting paid to do this," which sounds callous, but it's understandable. We need some sort of system where the students can go to that, not just the ISS or you know the in-school suspicion. It's just not suspicion, suspension rather, but something else that they can go to where they're like, "Hey, this is a safe place," and the parents recognize that, "Hey, this is a safe place," and we need to also change the narrative of teachers just being glorified babysitters to being people who are ones that give, receive respect and give respect and relate these stories of culture or grammar or science that we used to see. When I say used to see, I mean like the way that things were, when you think about, I mean, it has its pros and its cons. But when you think about the village take raising the child, you know, those things you used to see back in those those community days, we need to have some sort of 2019 parallel of that and future parallel of that. Um, I think that's one of the best things that we need to do. Um, and I think that's one of the things that works best. And I think we've tried to do that in our classrooms. And I feel as if we've seen a more positive sway of it because of that. I can I can agree with that and there's something in there that you you also said that that jumped out at me and that was you know the re- respect for teachers and I was watching um, it was an NEA you know uh, uh, school forum that uh, a, a bunch of the candidates went and spoke at and this particular this, the, the the one who said this was Elizabeth Warren it's actually something I agreed with her on she said you know when you have people that go in for like a career day or a parent that goes in they're like you know that dad's a lawyer that dad's an engineer and you're a teacher you know yeah it shouldn't be like that teachers honestly like we, we should be lauded as rock stars like for what we do people gripe and complain and you know they get three months off they shouldn't be paid as much as they do they make too much money. we don't make enough money for what we do because it even in those three months like we still see kids out in the community and we see those kids out in the community we we still have to you know act like people to them like they mm-hmm. have you ever when you run into a, t- a student out in, out in like the wild if you will they mr elliot mr elliot mr true mr true you are a rock star to that student especially if you made an impact on their life and i don't know when that stops happening and when adults forget that but it's really sad and you know that that brings us to to the next part of our um of our discussion and Jacob you can you can jump in at any time on on this one we need new teachers and and especially ones who are compassionate like yourself as cuz i mean you do under the tree but you're also very knowledgeable about your um your topic and as it you know happens to work out all three of us are history teachers um which is uh, it's just kind of funny and ironic in that way but like when you're in the classroom right now like how how many of your peers around you do you see going to school to be a teacher? Uh, me. Yeah, you. <laughs> no, you. That, that that's it. Me. Just you. Yeah, just you. <laughs> but um, to walk it back a little bit, because um, I find this interesting, um, uh, Chris. So, what was the percentages, if you had to guess, of your high school? Like race, student student wise. I'm a really bad school to pull out of that um, because um, 
you know, mm. I went I went to a high school where literally everybody was white but two. So, um, um but uh, Caleb, how about you? Caleb went to Grafton. He should have a a, yeah. a little bit more yeah, diversity I, than I did. I would say my parents were military, so I bounced around a lot. Um, but That's generally true. speaking, I would say even in college, um, my school populations were probably maybe. 15% black or quote unquote black identifying so black or afro hispanic um, or afro latino and then probably like another 5% hispanic maybe like 20% asian and yeah. then whatever else is left over because I don't teach math uh, would be probably the white identifying population well, I found it um, kind of interesting because I never really thought about it until you guys were discussing, um, uh, you know, black teachers or teachers of color. Um, f- for, I'm sure Chris knows, um, I, I went to Bethel High School. Okay. Um, and you can look it up. It's about 90% black. Right. Um, when I went there, and I think it went up since I've graduated. Um, and I also went to Jefferson Davis Middle School, which is no longer called that, thankfully. Um, and that was about 90% too, which is kind of ironic that it's named after Jefferson Davis. I'm um, sure there's a reason for that. Uh, uh, Chris, what is, what is it now? Do you remember? What? The remember? school's name. Oh, I have no idea. Um, it's actually, it's kind of cool. I can't remember his name, um, but it was actually a, uh, st- a steamboat operator, a uh, black man um, during the... Uh, no, not a steamboat. A uh, paddleboat operator during the Revolutionary War um, who was promised freedom for his service. Of course, he didn't get it until 10 years after the Revolutionary War. Um, but he was a war hero. He, um, A bunch of uh, veterans came to him and literally bought him to get his freedom. Caesar Tarrant? Caesar Tarrant? Caesar... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caesar, yeah. T- uh, Tarrant? Or Tarrant? Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool guy. But anyway, back to the point. Um, my like, most when, when memorable you have a, teachers history teachers in the same you know um, podcast. It's it's yeah. going to divert into a history lesson somewhere. But uh, uh, I kind of I you know I never really thought about it. my most um, sixth grade was also the first black teacher I had. Um, oh, mine was seventh no, grade. No, 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 no. no it would choose a fifth female grade. Miss Giles. Fifth grade, but she was uh, pregnant. Um, and she had to leave part of the year but sixth grade was the first full year um but since then i don't know if i had a white teacher in middle school maybe one or interesting two. do you know um, the history of your school uh um i know that uh it was not phoenix which was the all-black school um uh bethel was though my high school was an all-black school. And um, Phoenix is now materializing so, so, into some sort of a magnet school, if I can remember correctly. Isn't well, it that's the new That's the new Phoenix. The oh. old Phoenix um, was torn down. Oh, see. Um, but it's very interesting. Um, my most memorable teacher is Mr. Huckabee. Uh, Mr. Lawson, which I believe you know, Chris. Um, Mr. Animate and Mr. Rodan. Three of th- or two of them are black. One of them is um, actually he was a immigrant from Columbia and he's probably the most influential teacher I've ever had 8th grade civics he bought me 
the first coin I got, and he got me into coin collecting. He bought me a big coin book, and I still have it. And, of course, Chris knows how much I'm into coins So um, since then. But I don't... In high school, I had at least um, th- two to three... Um, African American teachers and most of them men in my high school. Interesting. Yeah, it's like it, looking at the statistics. I mean, like obviously there are going to be outliers out there. Like our school, as far as um, you know, male teachers go, it's a it's yeah. def- it's a definite outlier. That's interesting. Well, you don't think, especially like because you graduated high school in what year? Oh nine. Oh nine. So I mean, like you've been out for ten years. Yeah. And you would have had gone through middle school in in the early two thousand. So well, I mean, a real interesting. Um, thing uh, most people don't think of this um, there actually were um, the decline of male black teachers especially um, has been going since the 60s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't think of this 420,000 um, black teachers and principals lost their jobs when st- segregation happened or desegregation happened and they never returned to education yep um which most people like don't think about. Um, Interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, you never. I was. Really want I was think, actually like, going to note that as um, well. But continue, Jacob. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got you. Okay. Yeah, you never want to um, think about, you know, what can happen um, of something. Obviously, you know, I, everyone agrees here that desegregation need to happen, um, but people didn't really care much how, if that makes sense. Um, so all of a sudden, instead of bringing the kids to each other's schools, they just closed down the black schools and moved them to with the white kids. Yep. Um, and especially in our area, um, which I can say Hampton Roads because this is a Hampton Roads um, for Beto, but um, we're a very special area, especially if you live in Hampton and Newport News. Um, we are almost 50-50% um, black and white. I believe it's 40 Eight percent white, and I believe it's forty-nine percent black in Hampton, particularly where I live. Um, and there's some Hispanic and Asian in there. Um, so very interesting. Uh, most places aren't like that. Yeah, we're um, definitely we're definitely in a vacuum here. We have we also have a lot of military as well. Yeah. Um, and so when you think about that, it's kind of different. And then to go back to your earlier point. I'm just trying to catch up here. Um, when you talked about students not you know breaking the mold um chris knows this but um i was diagnosed in elementary school with dysgraphia um and um i was put on the program to basically get a high school certificate um they said i would never graduate high school um all this um when i graduated i believe i was 11th in my class and that's because i got a zero in tech drawing they talked about me. I, I won the multiple history awards. Um, obviously, I'm working on my master's right now. Um, but if I listened to my teachers in fifth grade, I would never graduate high school. And and that's another thing. You know, it, and it's, it's not something that we we as teachers know about. There are, I mean, like legitimately, there are bad teachers out there, and all it takes is one bad teacher that can ruin a child on school 
like all they have to do is handle th- something the wrong way and 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 you know jacob is is a, is a special case because i'm sure that they told him he wasn't going to graduate and he said well fuck you i'm going to graduate and i'm gonna graduate in the top half of my class you know let alone i mean in the top 20 of my class and then not to mention this fact which really is the problem when my graduating class was 1250 freshman year we had a 68 percent dropout rate i graduated with 400 and something and the rest of the people transferred or whatever but 68 percent dropped out straight out of high school from my high school and and again, these are these are all. I mean, this is problems with education as a whole. We are losing children, right? I mean, it, it's just we're not doing all that we can. And you know, part of that is getting in these new teachers. So how do we get out and like how do we tell people? You know, and especially the right ones, because we don't just want people coming into education because you know it's something to do. They couldn't do something with their underwater bra- b- basket weaving uh, <laughs> degree, so now they're going to teach art at a school. Uh, but it, I, it, it's it's even worse that because um, you know most people when oh I'm going to be a teacher oh don't do that. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah, why would you do that? An, that's another thing. Why we would hear. you do that? SOL tests. It's awful. Don't ever get into teaching. You know, and and as long as we have that, it's not going to change. Um, and to go right back then, and you guys know this. I don't have to tell you. Most of those kids dropped out because they couldn't pass SOLs. Yeah. And they just like, well, peace. Yeah, and and that's another. And nobody's Hopefully telling. I can get a job at the shipyard, and that's yeah. what it was. Well, and, no, and nobody's telling these kids like you are still going to graduate if you pass these SOLs. Like the SOLs have no, they are not going to dictate. Well, they actively tell people when I was in high school, oh, if you don't pass these SOLs, you you don't graduate. Well, that's because it's all, at the end of the day, it's all about funding. If the school doesn't get as much funding, if they don't have a, a certain pass rate, and that and that's that's something that we're not telling kids. And you know, we have kids who, like, Mr. True, I didn't. I'm not, and I'm not. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, don't get me wrong standardized you know what get me wrong standardized testing is bullshit i don't i don't think we should be doing in it any of it i think history is going the right way at least the history sol because we're going to be doing project-based learning which is actually having the kids do something like the oh, act, like, so like every degree path in the future instead of just random tests yeah you, i mean like <laughs> you, you know you, like you don't need like the SOLs don't tell you anything. It's all about funding, and you know we're privileged in not having um, having to deal with SOLs and a lot of the blowback. But I see the English department and I see the math department in my school, and I'm just like I couldn't do that. Like Caleb, would you would you go over and teach English? No, I um. I um I have some friends outside of our outside of our uh school that actually do teach English and I'm not going to say I bully them it's like a running joke but they'll do things I'm like yeah couldn't be an English teacher because it's there's requirements and I don't I don't I don't I don't know the master plan so I'm assuming someone knows or assumes that they know what they're doing somewhere that gets paid a lot more money than we do but I would never voluntarily teach an English class for the same amount of pay and 
whatever else that I would do for a history class just because the SOLs and stuff of that nature. And even when it comes to SOLs and testing, now granted we have standardized testing, we have standardized rubrics and standardized curriculum that we're supposed to be gathering the information for the SOL from. And a lot of times teachers do teach to the test, but some of that information can literally be lost in translation depending on what student is coming in and how much of that information is being fed to them outside of school so on and so forth well, but no in the I worrying mean, about having to take a test yeah, right and like they, they, in, in trying to study for a test if they're cramming for it and it's all we're just shoving information into their brains how much of that are they retaining after they take that test i, I mean like I'm, i i can i have crammed and passed a statistics test I cannot do statistics, but I could do it for that one test because mm-hmm. I crammed for it and knew I didn't never have to use it again. So, I mean, it, it, we're, we, we lose kids on that, and, and that's another reason that we're losing good teachers. People are scared to come into teaching because of standardized testing. I'm going to lose my job if my kids can't pass the SOL. If my kids don't score this well, I'm going to lose my job. It's going to ruin my career, and that is a real fear. Even as, a, as, as, a, as history teachers, and we don't have an SOL, like every time we take a test in our class, I'm like, oh, man. I hope my pass rate's good, and 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 that's not what it should be about. Like I shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that. We and, should really uh, just be focusing on the kids. Go ahead, Jacob. What uh, Caleb said, which I think is what people think, there is no master plan. Nobody is like, oh, I have a scared way. You guys just don't see what's happening. No, that's not the case. What standardized tests were? Hey, we're gonna help these impoverished schools. We're gonna give you extra money. But you need to do um, academic improvement to prove that you're doing it. Right. All right. But if you go look at the statistics, do you know what schools get that? Probably mostly schools with decent scores. Low minority schools get 97% of that funding. Because it it goes... I I haven't done a study on it, so I'm just throwing that... High poverty schools get 3%. Yeah. Like, are you like you know? And it breaks down even further than that. I mean, you can go look at urban schools, you know, versus suburban. Suburban eighty four percent, urban sixteen percent funded. You know, like, hello, the well, people you said it's supposed to help, yeah, are the ones who are not getting it. Exactly, it's and then you wonder why it looks so, you know, different. You know, so it's not helping anybody. All it was was something to make a politician look like he was doing something and it's all rhetoric no child left behind don't worry about it we got him yeah no child left behind was about the dumbest shit i've ever heard like i i get it we're not going to hold anybody back but if you have a kid who goes from sixth grade to seventh grade and he can't do the math he is just he's it's just going to be continually failing forward like he's going to fail through the other classes we're not giving the kids the background that they need and and it's it, some of this stuff that they put on teachers just it, it's it's well, just see, not helpful. And it's, kind of, it's kind of productive. No child left behind is not pushing on people. No, no child left behind. Well, no child left behind. Law is the funding for poor schools if they improve their academic progress. It's what SOLs are for. No yeah. child left behind is an SO, is the uh, standardized testing laws. That's what it is. It has nothing to do with not passing people on. It's because it's it's they it's like I said it's a something with the word on it that sound good, 
but it doesn't actually do that. Well, yeah, because, I mean, schools are still just passing students up, moving them forward. Anyways, and the students know that. Like, dude, kids know they're not, they're going to, they're going to move on to the next grade if they, if they fail, Uh, which is unfortunate. There, there just needs to be some kind of accountability there. And, and, you know, we're getting kind of into the, the, the more, political side of it which is which is good because where i want to be we've talked about what it's like being inside the school and needing the more diversity which is something we really need we've really got to start getting good teachers it's got that it's that is key and we've got to stop you know pricing them out of it and what i mean by that is you know stupid amounts of student loans to become a teacher that you can't pay off because the they don't pay you enough and then you work three or four jobs in some states mm-hmm. and virginia actually pays pretty well which is good or at least new part or where where we teach does you know like i said we're in a kind of a unicorn location yeah um where you know and then you always hear me talk about phoebus um where i um, claim residency. Um, it's such a it's such a unique place. Um, um, for anybody interested, look up Hampton Roads. Check out what it's about. It's the third biggest marketplace. It's super diverse. We have very little problems with um, crazy ass people doing things. Um, you know, and you talk to Corinne. Um, you know, she's never worried about the police which a lot of people unfortunately have to be, you know, we're in a very special area and hopefully it doesn't change. And I think our schools reflect that somewhat. Yeah. It's not the best school systems, but you know, go look at places in Jersey or New York. Oh yeah. No, I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen some of the school systems in Jersey and, you know? and, 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 and they have teachers who because of the way that they're or, set up. Heck, they, Pennsylvania, you know, they have zero funding for anything. Yeah, because you know, all you know, all the coal mines are closed. Or Ohio, where my family's from. I mean, I would. I mean, my cousin, she's a teacher there. Four foot tall. She has a shooting, at least twice a month in that school. A shooting. Can you imagine a shooting twice a month at your school? That's wild. Yeah. Or two, every two months. Excuse me. Every two months. Yeah. I. I just it's I it's. I mean, it's still a staggering number. Stag, you know, a stabbing ever so often, literally daily fights. I mean, I cannot even. And I'm talking, about, I'm talking full on fights. They have metal detectors, you know, like the, you know, like the ones you think, oh, those schools don't exist, with metal detectors at all the exit and cops all around. No, that's school. Young downtown Youngstown. Yeah, I was just about Go to look. ask if it was Youngstown. It was Youngstown. Yep. Downtown Youngstown. She works in. There, there's no grocery stores in the city. In the city limits, there's no grocery stores because they kept getting robbed. Crazy. Really? No yeah. grocery stores? Well, it sounds like we, we, we really, a lot of the places we need to start is community outreach. Mm-hmm. You know, again, something teachers can do. But, like, you know, I, at the end of the day, our students are um, the, the number one thing. And I, the two things that I, I have thought that will do the most good for our students one is throughout their career and one is leading up to it um and leading up to we'll start we'll start there we need universal pre-k now i there are schools around here who have that but that is not something that exists readily out throughout the united states like again our area in a in a in a vacuum we actually live in a pretty decent area and we work in this decent area but there's other schools who don't have universal 
pre-K and you know my school gets affected by that pretty consistently how many kids well, you, uh, I mean, we've had a know. ton of kids who can't can't read on a sixth grade level or on a mm-hmm. second grade level mm-hmm. you know i can't you i can tell them facts but they can't read it on a piece of paper we need to be put that like that needs to be something like every there it, it shouldn't be money you know we we we, we educate student kids from kindergarten through uh through their senior year 12th grade but kids start learning before that like you can teach them things you know i started reading at three years old three years old if we did that with every student we would and and we had this option where you know we had transportation and put funding in into it we would have more students reading and on a a a reading a higher reading level like i mean i'm not alone on this right like i'm I'm not the only one here thinking Bodhi, you know by the time he's three reciting the secession order of the british empire i'm sure you you will um but besides that but uh um but you know it, uh, that's not an abnormal thing. You think about it. Um, for example, people such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or some of these other guys. You hear, you read their autobiographies. You hear these stories about them. Some of the um, men from the past, and they were four, not fourteen, but you know, sixteen, seventeen. Which seventeen might not be too old, rather, or too young, rather. But they were into levels where they were in college already, you know, and we look at that and we we promote that for a lot of people as if, um, you know, this makes this person greater than this person. And not to take away from Dr. King's legacy, but it was the educational system around him. And he was growing up in a segregated system, but they enforced education, they enforced reading, they enforced these things where he could go and like have an aspiration of doing something great but it started when he was very young so there needs to be something where people or kids can learn um and if i and i think we've also gotten away from what the standardized testing we've gotten away from learning being something that is um i'm not going to say fun as in it should be you know like video games and ice cream sodas or whatever but it's, it's not fun as it used to be. I remember my history teacher when I was, I want to say I was maybe in sixth or seventh grade, I had a history teacher, um, and he wasn't, I think it was fifth grade, and uh, white, old, whiter, old, old, whiter, older white guy, and uh, he would, every single unit that we did, he would come up dressed like that unit. Um, so awesome. we talked about the Revolutionary War, he would come into class dressed as the Revolutionary War, and I was like, this guy is crazy, but everybody wanted to go to his class because we never knew what he was going to do. And he worked us to the bone, but he always kept us entertained while working us to the bone. And I think that that is, we need something where these kids can actually learn and not just regurgitate information, but actually learn. Um, exactly. And advance yeah. themselves. Yes, sir. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, well, they do the- uh, testing on, um, you can look up, I don't have the source in front of me right now, but they did uh, memory tests. Um, what kids learned about what they covered and if you go to the students who that class had SOL they would get like 50s on the you know what did you retain but you go to the classes who didn't have SOLs they scored in the 80s on average 
It's, it's because you they, know? they they have. I mean, learning <laughs> is 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 it's fun. It's not necessarily forced. Like I, how many of our students do we do we have that you know they can't tell you on a test, you know what Roanoke is, but my kids could all tell you why Roanoke. Uh, happened and 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 what happened to those people as far as like you know who who's a what's it got held up in England and then the the you know the Spanish Armada happened and like why they got left there for two and a half years by their own they can tell you that but they can't tell you it was the first colony first English colony but then you go I mean history I mean you guys know this your history teachers it's a story it should be like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones you should be like what's happening next time and if you do it right it will be cool. I mean, you can't make up stuff that happened in history. You oh, literally no. cannot make it up. It is far more interesting than people would like to say. Because, like, oh, I hate history. It's so boring. You know, this guy did this on this date. If you're doing that way, you're you're not you're not teaching it right. You know? Exactly. But no, if no. you have to do that for the test, then you know what's the point? Because you know, no one will know. Exactly. I mean, maybe you'd be really good at Jeopardy one day, but that's it. Yeah, no, and exactly, and that's what standardized uh, standardized testing takes a lot away um, from us. And you know, getting getting back to, to the, the whole universal pre K uh, again, we can't. It's it's hard to it, it's hard. It, the kids are at a disadvantage if by the time they get to sixth grade, they can't read. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I've gone back and tried to work with kids. You know, we're we're putting in in the work. You know, when it should have been done up front, and you know, it, there's a horrible thing that happens in education that uh, you know most people don't know about and that's called tracking you know we, it happened to you jacob they put you on a track you weren't going to graduate high school because you had dysgraphia mm-hmm. and you said well again you know uh, i'm going to do something completely different but you you get these kids stuck on these tracks it doesn't not ever that that you were an extreme minority but we need to make sure that we give our kids a front-loaded chance by giving them the, teaching them to read teaching them simple numbers teaching them to be social with one another like that's that's something that's big in schools and i feel like we've lost a lot of it and that's why we have a lot of the bickering that we get like we don't have bad bad fights not like you were talking about but the kids get so up about uh, upset about piddly stuff because in a lot of cases they're not getting socialized at a young age and you know universal pre-k just has a million different benefits and all of them are good and i can't think of a single reason this country doesn't have that already but um all of that is is for naught, right? If your kid or, or if your students come into school and they're hungry, and I'm gonna go ahead and like I'll, I'll, the, the school that I teach at, I'm gonna shout it out right now. Um, it 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 makes sure that every student that steps in that door is fed. We have free breakfast, we have free lunch. Not a student goes hungry. That is not the norm. That is not something that happens in schools across the country. We have a lot of kids that, you know, it's 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 hard to take a test when you're worrying about am I gonna ha- am I gonna have dinner? When am I gonna eat next? You know, it's hard to concentrate when your stomach grumbles. You know, if we, we, we we're lucky now. You know, I've I've gone and bought kids food. You know, I mean, like why is why is student nutrition? only a tagline when when politicians want to get elected and then it gets forgotten you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. like and you, yeah. you know you know my mom's uh uh runs a cafeteria in uh james city county 
which is another unicorn area, um, mainly because all the rich people who live up there. And John Hinckley. And John Hinckley Jr. John yes, Hinckley Jr. John Hinckley's dead. My bad. John Hinckley Jr. also lives in Williamsburg. Um, Fun actually, fact. 20 minutes from the school, but <laughs> yeah, hopefully Reagan doesn't come to visit. But um, if, if Reagan comes to visit, he's got a whole. <laughs> we might. A- <laughs> we, There's a lot more problems. We have a lot <laughs> so many more about. problems. <laughs> but uh, when you know she goes and she's having the opposite problem. She used to, you know, and they have. Uh, I think mostly. Um, she have a lot of free lunch. Um, her people, she has a lot of reduce, which is ridiculous. I could do an hour on that, reduce and free lunch. Um, but M- meaning they could make it better. No, uh, there's free or re- she's a paid school, but there's a lot of free people, a lot of free lunch. But mm-hmm. there's people are reduced. Now, basically, what it is, if your family makes under forty thousand or under thirty thousand dollars a year, you get free lunch. Mm-hmm. If you make above that to fifty thousand, you get reduced. Chris, as somebody I, I assume makes around that much, um, is it like ten dollars a week for lunch? Does that have that that that'll eventually cut in a little bit? Yeah, especially yeah. if you I, had. I, a I mean, yeah, ten ten dollars. Uh, I mean, ten dollars is a lot. When a, I mean, right. I'm, I make because it's my wife and I together. But, but ten, if you and I can tell you, her, even with where we're at, we're still yeah. You know, ten dollars is a lot. And then that know? doesn't include breakfast either, because I remember they yeah. used to make students pay for breakfast as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, they do, they do still at a lot of schools. Um, like you said, you guys are a little special. Um, and most of Newport News is, I believe, free. Is that correct? I'm not sure. I just know I what think, happens I'm in my. I'm pretty school. sure most. I think, I think all so. elementary, and middle school is. High school's a little different. It's harder because they have more. Um, robust food, I guess you would say. So it's a little more expensive, and I think that's the main problem. But at that school, the people reduce lunch need it way more because, and those, if you got, I'm sure you guys are familiar, those same requirements are food stamps, um, welfare, various other things. So they're not getting that either, but those family making less are, so they're in that weird group between oh you make too much but not enough to actually live yeah and that's like the big problem so these people get left behind and she's like yeah i have free kids come in they grab you know one or two ice creams you know and give me a 20 to break and then her reduced kids you know you know can't can barely um i think she said there were a couple thousand dollars because my mom just i'm not going to give them a buttered roll i'm just going to pay it and my mom pays hundreds of dollars a year um paying people's debts because you know she's like i'm not gonna let these kids go hungry or and eat that's, like a butter roll like no one wants a, a roll for lunch yeah no and that's that's awesome that your mom does that by the you way know. shout out to her because i know that's a lot of money i mean and people uh, help i think she said uh the other uh some guy came and they had like 500 and some dollars outstanding and some guy paid it it happens randomly. A parent will come in. But just why like, does that happen? You know how it shouldn't happen. It, you think about it. Five hundred dollars for, let's say, you know, if 
yeah, it shouldn't happen. I, I can't. Yeah. I'm not even gonna go into that. It just shouldn't happen. Because it's a dollar fifty a day for a kid for lunch or something like that now. Yeah, well, you it, think it's more than that? About it. The kid who probably yeah, can't two bucks, whatever it is. You yeah, because you figure the way, and I'm not saying say the system, the system, but it's it is what it is. The way that the system is set up, most likely speaking, the person, the parent of the kid who owes five hundred dollars. Oh no, that's like and, the school together. Oh, okay. That's like all the kids. Oh, that was like I'll a classroom say, for me. When, yeah, that's all the ki- like all the kids who had like um, debts. Yeah. Basically, what the rule is, I believe it's five or six dollars, and then after that, she's supposed to give them like a butter roll or a, a cheese sandwich, and not the regular lunch. I remember that from a couple of years ago, but they yeah. were giving kids peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I was no, like, you c- "She's a peanut-free school now." Yeah, there's so many kids that are allergic to peanut butter and jelly. I'm like, so we're going to give... Anyways, yep. Yeah, we're going to give some kids food, but we're going to let the other ones start. At the the end of the day, it's a broken system, and no child should have to worry about being hungry. All right, and you know, there are, I mean, like I said, we have how many students have we had that ha- are come from single parent homes? Yeah. It's being raised by their mother, and they're usually not the only child. And moms working two or three jobs, and there are kids who come home and take care of their siblings, and you know, it, it happens. But we should, if, as a society, be able to feed them at school. Yeah, we and need to make like yeah. there are kids, we have kids who come to school just to eat. Yeah, which is just to eat ridiculous. Yes, no, no. In and of itself, it's ridiculous. I mean, it is thirty-three percent of the average household is that's food waste in America. Oh, if sure. you literally go buy three bags of groceries, drop one in the parking lot, and just keep going. That's literally what the average American does. And you're telling me people go to school hungry? That's stupid. Oh, 100%. And, but, <laughs> like, you have people argue, well, you just don't raise my taxes. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, buddy, but, you know, we got to feed these kids because when you're dead and we bury you, you know, your taxes won't matter, but these kids are still going to be. But that's here. not even, even half of it because most of that food is thrown away um, and not donated. And if you go, there's a couple documentaries. I actually think John Oliver did one. If you haven't watched it, go look at the food waste documentary little mm-hmm. thing they did. They went and asked grocery stores. They were afraid they were going to get sued because the stuff was past its best sell-by date or something, which is not a thing, and that's a whole other story. That's all bullshit, and it's made by the manufacturers. There's no independent thing that does that. It's by the manufacturers to get people to buy more of their products. It's, you know, so sounds about right. You know. But I don't know. It just there's so much that needs to get changed in 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 the education field, and you know, good good on us for all going into education. My wife is currently working on going into education too. It it it, it takes a special kind of person um, to to be a teacher. Not just anybody can be a teacher. Any anybody can stand in a classroom. Yeah, yeah. not not, you, not so. everybody can be a teacher. You know, not everybody's going to have what it takes to to to. You know, I've gone in and I've seen kids get in trouble and I've gone into the um, principal's office to advocate for them. You know, not every teacher is going to do that. And I think that obviously I'm not trying to toot my own horn. He really is got the king teachers. of the advocates. He advocates more than I do. 
He's the king <laughs> of the advocates. All day, man. Someone's that's because he got in so much trouble when he was little, and he knows. Oh. And that's the, and that's the thing. I never, I, you know, what? I wasn't a bad kid. I was never in trouble. I just know that they're just kids. They're kids. They're gonna do kid things. They're gonna do dumb shit. We all did dumb shit. How many adults forget about the forgot about the dumb things that they did? You know, and again, bringing it back to 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 discipline. And you know, I I was I worked PBIS, and you know, PBIS doesn't get a lot of respect and all that. I, you know, but it's because we're not doing anything with it. It gets forgotten behind. It's just easier to be, be like, "All right, you and uh, Jimmy, you threw a ball, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put you in ISS for three days." I hope you learned. I had it. No, I. I mean, I'm gonna tell. Uh, here's a story for you. And, and this this pissed me off. I had a student who had a student who was picking on her and calling her names and doing, I, I, I cannot remember exactly what happened, um, but she went and told the sub. Again, not everybody who's in a classroom can teach you. That's nothing against subs. They're great subs, fantastic subs. This guy was just in a room. He apparently was playing on his cell phone. Um, I understand. The, she, couldn't, she couldn't get a single, she couldn't, get, she couldn't get the kid to stop. She told the sub, the sub didn't do anything. The kid said, I, I, you can't make me. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So she finally had enough, and she hit the kid. She spent, I think, two days out of school, three days in school. I think the, the one kid got a day in school. Like, what is that? Yeah. They, they, that wasn't the children failing. That was the adult in the room that failed those kids. And uh, Chris, can you explain to me? What does out of school suspension help with? I have never got that in all my years of school. It used to have consequences. Yeah. Um. It you it used to be you'd get zeros on everything, and I think we're failing kids even when we have to do OSS. And I'm not saying we don't need discipline because we do. We just need to be more judicious about how we use it. And it can't be weaponized. And I think way too many people weaponize it, and way too many people use it just to not have to look at that kid anymore. Instead of thinking, why is he doing what he's doing? And like they care. Oh, I have to go home and not do anything and yeah. if they don't they have don't. strong it's a free vacation the system th- the system yeah. is only effective if you have once it goes back to the community aspect the system of oss is only effective in probably a pre 2009 world i think oh if i got oh my god if i got os i think i got once and i was justified and my parents didn't get me too hard but if I had it for something that I did, oh well, my, my! You know my father, Chris Lord, who a fucking wall. <laughs> but you, you, you also, said it before. You also <laughs> have to think about like you think about technology that we have nowadays. Um, you think about the access to you know things such as Wi-Fi and hotspots, your video game systems, all that stuff. You know, so getting OSS. And, and you figure if you live in a single parent household, right, where um, for better or for worse, only one of the parents is present and they're working X amount of time, you know, the parents not able to keep up with the fact that their child is, you know, at home, which means that the child now probably has if they have their cell phone or whatever, it's, it's a vacation. It's not as if um, previously, you know, you would get. ISS or OSS and I know 
myself and cohorts of mine, if we would get sent home, you know, that you had dial up, no, not dial up internet because we had Wi-Fi by then, but still the Wi-Fi would get cut off, you know, and you didn't have the smartphones and stuff like that. And um, I come from my dad's side of families from the country of Virginia and my mom's side of families from the islands. So there's no, there's no playing around there. If you get in trouble, you're in trouble. Like you're, if you come home, if the mom and dad comes home and you're not, you know, scrubbing the bathroom while reading the scrubbing the bath bathroom while scrubbing while reading the dictionary you know from a to z and cleaning up the floors and getting all your homework turned in you're you're gonna have to do more work anyway but we don't have that type of community support nowadays so it's just like you know little bobby gets sent home for three days for getting in a fight or being or bobby gets sent home because he refused to give the the security guard his cell phone so now he's getting sent home his mom comes and picks up his cell phone. Now little Bobby's at home with his cell phone for three days, you know? I mean, he Playing needs Fortnite. to call his, call his mom, you know? Yeah. Which, that's another thing. I'm going to get started with the lake. I mean, who cares? I mean, if they're not in the class using it, I mean, I don't care. I mean, I, I've got the, away, I've, I've, don't I, let I'm, me hear it. If I hear it, turn it off. Yep. Nope. Same thing. But that's not like the, that's not the norm, which is weird to me. Uh, you know, it's we're in a digital age. We want them well, to be digital I mean, digital do it like your college. Like, oh, come on, turn off your phone. We're, I'm trying to do a lecture, and then that's it. it and yep, that's like I don't understand. Like, my class doesn't get der- derailed by cell phones because they just cut it off if it, they forget it's on. It's I mean, a- an accident's an accident. I think I've confiscated maybe one or two phones ever yeah. in the amount of time I've taught. It's just in in I'm I'm going to tell you about OSS can be dumb. It can be useful if it's used appropriately, and I, there are reasons that kids need to get. Oh, yeah, um, of suspended, obviously, because they can't be on school grounds. But you know, and there there are things that they they can do. They can send the kids to churches. Churches do outreach group, but nobody utilizes them. Nobody like I put work up for kids who get suspended that never gets done. You know, it's we're, there's accountability all around, and we, as adults, as the, the adults in the room, we're all failing these kids. We're not asking the right questions up front, and we're not helping them out at the end. We're we're leaving. We're pretty much just leaving them stagnant. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and tell you a, a a suspension story, which is super super dumb, right? So my wife in high school was suspended for skipping school. Then she got more days added on because she had a lighter at school after they brought her to school when they found out she was skipping so one whose fault is the lighter hers or theirs really but i mean like she's already skipping school why are you going to give her oss like they should have thrown her an iss if anything (laughs) which made more sense so that's just that that's always blown my mind i knew hannah was delinquent she's been a delinquent more as soon as i saw her yeah no she looks like one one of them delinquenters She's for those for my those of you listening at home. She's sitting right here and giving me the finger, but that's neither here nor there. Uh huh. <laughs> Studying for her teacher test actually, um, while we record this. But you know, education is important to me. I think that you know we are doing the best that we can as teachers. I know both of you, Caleb. You know, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. Same uh, um, for Jacob. But we're 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 not the norm and we're not getting enough good teachers like this and we need more politicians talking about it we hear them talking about well, um, they don't educate 
Well, I mean, that's not even that's not even the case in a lot of cases. I've heard Beto say some really, really, really good stuff, but I need him to back it up too. Like, I, I'm a supporter. I volunteer. I started this podcast because of him. It is named for him. And I and I believe that he's going to do what we need to do because as of it stands right now, Betsy DeVos is ruining education and she is driving it into the ground. She is. She has got to go. Yeah. Because in charter schools, you are more than welcome to send your kids to private school. That is your right as American, but I am not going to pay for it. You can take that voucher, tear that right up, throw it right in the trash because I ain't doing it. Right. I'm a product of, of a um, public school institution. I graduated in the top half of my class. Um, once I got my life together, I graduated college with a 3.5. Graduated grad school with a 3.21. Granted, my, my college career, and I use that. I, I tell the kids that you know I, I had such a hard, a strict life that I kind of went crazy for a few years and bombed some things. I understand. And, I met your mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um she you know um my for it is she's a teacher too she she's loves her students i will give her that but she we 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 have too many kids that quit like i didn't quit i eventually graduated with a 3.5 as a product of a public school education we put somebody there is somebody right now as a secretary of education who has not stepped her foot into a public school prior she doesn't know what the public public school system is we need more teachers in this the department of education as, as a secretary of education who actually know just what the hell is going on in schools caleb elliott 2020 let's let's put him as the secretary of education he knows well and the he's superintendent nice of hampton is stepping down next year um i've heard from the mayor so there's an opportunity for you to run yep there we go caleb 2020 oh lord um <laughs> i'm not, <never> <laughs> not going to get into to devos just because i it, it it's like saying she's like voldemort in schools and that should tell you something she is she who must not be named um but, but you it, know it all goes down to like what you said the she guy in charge yes i know he is she doesn't also know a moron. anything how can you run something that you have no knowledge of I'm like <laughs> i'm a pretty smart guy but I guarantee I couldn't run the NASA space program. Hey, if Betsy DeVos can be the secretary of education, I'm going to go down to CHKD and start doing surgeries. <laughs> I've never done been in, in a room doing surgery, but that, I'm a thousand percent sure. Is that how it works now? Because I, you, I, never mind. You just wash your hands. <laughs> it, 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 it only works if you, you have enough and money and, and you buy your position. That's how that works. Yeah. You, you have to be able to, to buy You can do whatever position. you want if you own the hospital. I, I do know that. Yeah, well, that and, you know, if your your brother helps, you know, work with the Russians to get, you know, your boss, you know, elected, <laughs> then you can kind of do things that you have no fucking clue how to do um i i could go on about i could do a whole show on the evil that is betsy devos but i'm going to lovingly choose not to um but first off you know we've talked about some really good stuff you know diversity and teachers um and all that you know feeding our students everything but the last question i'm going to pose to you each individually um and i'm going to start with jacob because i haven't let him go first yet um i want you guys to tell me what does a politician need to do right now 
that you would vote on them, vote for them to be president, but specifically pertaining to education. Like, what does their education plan have to be? Like, what what, what would sell you on their candidacy? Jacob, you go. Um, that's a hard question um, because I think the um, way we fix schools is more of a cultural solution. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things we can do. I mean, we can get rid of standardized tests. If someone says, hey, I'm going to get rid of standardized tests, that's good enough for me going forward. But really, what we need to do, we have to change the culture um, from what I do is my own business. My child is never wrong. And school is dumb. You're never going to use it for anything and get back not even get back because I don't even think it ever existed but more make well I guess get back to when people wanted to secede in the education because they knew it meant a brighter future you know I mean you know how many most schools don't have a valedictorian or a victorian I know it doesn't really matter but it's one of those things that people don't think it matters anymore. Like, we got computers. I can Google anything. I don't need an education. You know? And if that's where we're going, we might as well just pack up this planet and just go move into a cave somewhere. Because we'll never move from this spot we're at in history. That's super unfortunate. And like, I, I agree with you. We do need we need to put more value on education because I, I and value on teachers too because we're lo- we're losing that. Um, what about you, Caleb? Oh wow! Um, you got to vote right now. What what kind of ed- education? What what politician? What does a politician have to tell you right now is pertaining to education? That's going to be like, all right, I'm going to vote for him right now. Um, I know your I know your 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 values go way beyond just that, but specifically speaking, wow. Education. Uh, even even if that was the only issue, um, wow. I, I I think it would have to do something with um more accountability in the school system, but also more funding in the school system. And when I say funding, obviously as a teacher, I would like to get paid more and blah, blah, blah. However, um, the the funding needs to go to the students. Um, and we need to figure out how we are. And when I say funding needs to go to the students, I mean funding that goes to the students for things that the students either really need and or really want. So funding shouldn't go to students to get students um glossy student contract books because who cares you know yeah they throw them away yeah yeah they lose the cover in the first week i've seen it i promise you that's what happens but but tax dollars at work laptop for everybody dude i would love laptops for everybody i I mean it's it's completely unnecessary we don't really need it i think we need to get back to paper and pencil and i'm sorry we jumped in on you caleb i want you to i want you to finish but yeah, I could go either way on that one. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, I actually read this article about why um, computers and stuff are not beneficial. I'd rather have laptops than iPads. Um, and you, uh, true, you know, because of the um, 
some of the things that have happened at, in our school district with the iPads versus the computers, while well, I would favor the computer over the iPad. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Moving on, um, it would have to be, I, I would say accountability, increasing, increasing accountability, as well as funding that goes to the students um, for things that students actually need. And I hate to use the word trickle down, oh my gosh. Um, and of course, trickling down to the teacher's pay as well. Um, and don't just something that increases the value of the education and the educators. I don't know how a politician could vocalize that, but every once in a while when I see things like that in somebody's push, more so for local community, organ, um, community politicians, that is something that immediately sways me over to their side. All right. I, I would like to add one thing because I just thought about it. Okay. Um, we... Uh, do you know why the lottery is legal in the United States? No, dear Lord. Sure. Why? No, I have no idea. Um, it was illegal for a long time. They made it legal because that all the funding would go to schools. Makes which sense. Which is legally written into the lottery, of at least the Virginia State Lottery. Every dime from the lottery goes into school. It The lottery profits have... I'm going to look it up real quick. 12 times since its conception. Every year it goes up 20% or more. Chris, hmm. do you think the budget for school goes up 20% more every year? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, shit. I mean, it has the, not. The, it has I can tell you the school budget has, has not really gone up because we still, I mean, we, we get new books every, what, 10 years? I can five tell years? you for a fact that the school budget in our school district is not. Do you know why? Why? And, and every dime does go to, from the lottery goes to schools. What they do is, what's, I'm just going to say a random number. Let's say the school budget for Virginia is $100 million. Let's say the lottery made $38 million this year. They go and minus $38 million from the school budget and replace it with the lottery money. And then use that $38 million they took from the school budget for other things and put the lottery $38 million in there. We're almost even right now, so eventually we're going to start doing good. Right now we're almost even with how much the lottery makes and how much the school budget is. So hopefully when they make um, off of primarily low-income families more money off of them, um, it'll eventually trickle down. But yeah, whatever the lottery makes, they take out of the school budget and replace it. Yeah, that's not how that should work. That's, that's not. That's awful. I'm pretty sure the people who let it pass um, didn't think that was going to happen. Just saying. Or, or they did it on purpose. That's like um, robbing Peter to rob to pay Paul. Not essentially, Paul, yeah. Just to rob Paul. <laughs> just a lot of people, you know. That's 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 what our politicians Which are doing. They are robbing our kids of education. But then that's you go great. and the m mostly low-income families in low-income areas or urban areas pay the most for lottery. So they're paying that to pay their education, and then they have SOLs, which they're not passing enough of. And so they lose their funding, and then they don't get the funding they paid in their lottery with. Like, really? 
Like, I don't think, like, I don't know if anyone thinks about that. I didn't know that until you said it right now, but, but I can tell you it's you made me it. pretty angry. Literally, uh, low-income areas are losing budgets. They're getting lower funding every year. They're paying more money for lottery, which is supposed to go to those schools that they're not getting funding for, and those people are getting fundies, don't need that funding. And they don't need the lottery, so they're not paying that more. So all this extra money is literally going out of low-income neighborhoods and going right into the state, which maybe will go to higher-income areas. That is... Like, process that in your brain, because that's what's happening. Yeah. It just makes me angry. (laughs) And that's where we're at. And so I changed my mind. The school budget should not be able to be decreased at all. Ever. And all that lottery money should be on top of it. We should have that whatever the hundred million is plus that thirty eight. We should have an extra thirty eight million dollars in our theoretical thing, I'm sure the school budget for Virginia. God, I hope it's more than a hundred million dollars. I'm not a hundred percent sure it is. God but I, I don't so. know what it is. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you because, you know, as a teacher where i'm coming from um and actually kind of vibes with where i'm going with this kind of um we need universal pre-k we need yes teacher pay is 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 super important i would love to make more um but the more i make the more i have to pay in student loans that cost me to be a teacher which is a huge problem um and i'm not an advocate of getting rid of uh having is just clearing all student loan debt i think that's fiscally impossible and dumb move um and i think it's just irresponsible in general but if you go into work in the public you know sector you should get some kind of you know help or compensation like i shouldn't if if i have to work multiple jobs or i have to worry about where you know my my financial situation because of uh, because of student loans you know i'm not able to give the best education or i'm i'm my mind isn't laser focused when it should be laser laser focused i'm not saying that i'm not but there are people who do so that needs to be something that's focused on universal pre-k the nutrition of our students and making sure that our teachers are at least if their pay isn't uh, raised at least do something about the student loan debt that they have to pay off because that is a burden on them that does can reflect in the classroom and I want to go ahead and point out that I've had these views for a very, very long time, but those are also um, where Beto stands on those, uh, where Beto works stands and, on those, uh, and I'm, I'm all about all three of those things. Just to let you know, just yes. so you can have the numbers, Uh huh. the budget for Virginia mm-hmm. is 50, I'm just going to write, $57 million. No, That's the budget on, for hold on, education? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hundred thousand, fifty. Yeah, hundred. No, fifty-six billion. Does that sound right? One, I mean, two, it sounds three, better than fifty-seven four, million. Five, six, seven, yeah, eight, nine, ten, eleven. This yeah, is okay. what happened when yeah, historians yeah, do math. Right. Math hard. Yes, it's fifty numbers. Fifty-seven billion. All right. I can I can get down with that. From two thousand nineteen, it was fifty-eight billion last year so we went we lost a million dollars lost lost a billion dollars a billion dollars excuse me numbers hard so, yeah no that okay. is that is garbage we should be right. putting more money in so going the lottery 
this year was six hundred and six million in proceeds that went directly to school. The year before that was five hundred and fifty-eight million. So yeah, I, we made a hundred million more in the lottery, but our budget went down a billion dollars. And by the way, every year it's it's gone up considerably. In nineteen ninety, the year I was born, it was fifty-six million. Yeah. And proceeds. If you're a politician listening to this podcast right now, you should be listening to what Jacob just said about the lottery because that is garbage. We're not doing enough to take care of our kids. And I think throughout the podcast, we, we've kind of gotten that. This has all been kind of us letting loose about what we want to see education. I love being a teacher. We all love teaching. We will fight to ensure that our kids are taken care of in any way possible. Those Every student who walks across the threshold of my classroom is treated like they're my own child um but you know i want to thank you guys for coming on jacob thanks for coming back and caleb i appreciate uh you coming on um and talking with us um i am going to give you a shout out and you're going to hate me for it but i'm going to give you a shout out because there are people who um who do listen to this podcast it's not just me talking to myself i promise um but caleb does a lot of uh work out in the neighborhoods um he does a lot of really 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 great stuff he's extremely inspiring you know i wouldn't have made it through the last few years of teaching without him but uh a fun fact about caleb is caleb is also a rapper he does hip-hop Mm-hmm. Um, he raps under the, uh, the 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 name Caleb, as in you know his first name Caleb, is art. Um, and if you have iTunes, check him out. It's what he does is is inspirational. I know it it's it's deeply rooted in religion, which is is very much a part of who he is. But you should check it out. Check out Caleb is art on um, iTunes. Uh, his single Stadiums came out in January. Um, that's his plug from me for you. Um, but completely uh, unsponsored. Thank you. You're welcome. I figured I, I can sponsor you. <laughs> Anyways, guys, um, I appreciate you for listening. Don't forget, we got a lot of stuff coming up. Debates are next week. We need to make sure we are donating, volunteering, get the word out, hold the debate party if you can. Um, if you can't go to a debate party, it, Beto is on the first night. He's uh, going to be out there on July 30th. Um, but for right now, I'm your host, Chris, and, uh, let's just keep on looking ahead to Beto Days.